Um, if you're new here, I'm Zach, one of the teaching pastors here, and uh, we are going through a series in the book of Exodus. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it and open up to Exodus chapter 7. Exodus chapter 7. Now let me just give you a little heads up about today, because today's going to be a little unique compared to what we usually do in preaching. Um, today, we're going to attempt to swim a little bit in the deep end of the theological pool, okay? And it's not super easy for our limited brains to make sense of what we're going to see today. Um, but here's the thing. God has revealed these things to us for a reason. The Bible is no accident. And so even though maybe we, we run up against the, the ceiling of our limitations, that doesn't mean we shouldn't at least pay attention, okay? Now what we're going to be touching on today has been thought about, discussed, interacted with for a good solid 2,000 years now by men and women that are much smarter than me, and I get 35 minutes, okay? So I can't begin to plumb the depths of this here this morning, but I just plead with you for the benefit of the doubt, okay? Um, Some of you may be left with some lingering questions um, and know that that's very normal. Feel free to come to talk to me or hit me up on the sermon discussion channel on Slack if you want. Um, And one other thing, we're going to be jumping around a little bit in our Bible, and typically I don't like to do that, um, but it's going to be necessary this morning. So just keep that in mind. We're going we're gonna to jump around a little bit in light of the unique nature of the sermon, okay? So let's just review, though, first, what brings us to chapter 7. All right, here's the 10-second Exodus recap, especially if you're new or maybe have never read Exodus before. So <clears throat> God comes to this guy named Moses and says, I'm going to use you to lead my chosen people out of slavery, Okay? And these promises that I made way back before you ever lived, Moses, to this guy named Abraham, they're going to be fulfilled. Even though my people, who I promised to make in a, into a nation with, with more and more descendants for Abraham that, than there are sand on the seashore, even though those people now are enslaved, that's not always going to be the case. And Moses, I'm going to use you to bring them out of slavery so that my plan can move forward into the world. Well, Moses resists a lot. He's like, who am I? I can't talk. Like, and, and this guy's the most powerful guy in the world. And who am I? Just this shepherd. I'm going to go talk to him and command him and speak for you. Like, what the heck? And so he still does it. Pharaoh doesn't like what he says. And basically up to this point, Pharaoh has just said, get the heck out of here. Like, Moses, you're, you're nothing. Leave. Okay? I don't have ears for you. So he goes back and tells God this, and God says, that's okay. We're going to do this. I'm going to do it through you. It's going to be all about me, and I'm going to use you. And Moses resists again a little bit, and then finally says, okay. And that brings us to chapter 7. So let's look at chapter 7, verse 1. It'll be on the screen, too, if you don't have a Bible. And the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of 
the land. So this is not a bunch of new information here yet, right? This is just what we know is going to be happening. God says to Moses, you're going to be like God, meaning you're going to be the ultimate leader in a, in a human sense. And because you don't speak very well, I'm going to condescend to your weakness, Moses. And Aaron's going to come alongside you, and he's going to speak for you, okay? And it's the same message Moses has been hearing now for a few chapters. You're going to go talk to Pharaoh, command him to let my people go, so that my plan, God's plan, can move out into the scope of history. But there's a problem. And what we see in our text for today is that there's a God-ordained roadblock to this message he gives to Moses. We see it twice in 10 verses. Look at verse 3. But, God says, verse 3, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. How's that for a commission to Moses? You're going to go preach my word. You're going to go preach God's word. And there's absolute certainty that it will fail. Not super encouraging missional call on Moses' life, right? Look down at verse 13. It says it again. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. What's that mean? It's just hearkening back to verse 3. God promised this is what's going to happen. I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. And he will not listen because of that. So we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning thinking about this concept that the Bible makes clear. And it's going to come up a lot in the chapters that are following. In, in the new year, we'll be breaking down Exodus. And we're going to hear about this a lot. Pharaoh's heart was hard. It was hardened by God. Sometimes it says that, that it was just kind of hardened, like in verse 13, was hardened. And sometimes it says that he hardened his own heart. But in our verse for today, before Moses even um, uh, has gone to Egypt, well, as we'll see in a second, God promised that he's the one that does it, okay? So we're going to camp out on this, and I want us to think about this, because this touches on big themes throughout the whole of Scripture on how God operates to see his plan move forward into the world. How does he do that? So we're going to camp out here. Now I want us to flip back a page to chapter 4. Starting in verse 21. Now, Moses hasn't yet gone to Egypt. He hasn't said a word to Pharaoh yet. Okay? And look at verse 21 of chapter 4. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But here it is. But I will harden his heart. So that he will not let the people go. So God said he would do this, and now he repeats it again in our text today in chapter 7, right? He's got it in chapter 4. Moses hadn't even been to Egypt, and he said, This is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna harden Pharaoh's heart. God says here that he is the active party in making sure that his plan flows through the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. God making Pharaoh's heart hard was what God initiated such that his plan would move forward into the world. And what's really interesting 
is he tells Pharaoh why this happened. Now flip forward a page or two to chapter 9. We'll be there in a few weeks, but I just want to show it to you here. It's very important. Chapter 9, verse 16. God says to Pharaoh, But for this purpose, I have raised you up. Why? To show you my power. Well, why is that important? Well, here's why. So that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Now notice what it doesn't say. Just look at the text. It doesn't say that God was wondering what to do to make his name great in all the world and make it known in all the world. God's missional goal to, to, to be known, revered, cherished in every square inch of this planet. And then he just kind of stumbled on this Pharaoh guy and was like, whoa, here's the guy I've been looking for all this time, right? Good thing I stumbled upon him. I know what I'll do. I'll just capitalize on what he's already doing down here with slavery and my people and all that stuff. That's not what it says, is it? What does it say? God says that he is the one who did it. He didn't stumble upon Pharaoh and just happen to use what was already happening, or else God would have said in this text, you can leave it up there, Kate, um, you raised yourself up, Pharaoh, and I just came along for the ride with whatever you were already up to. That's, that's not what 9.16 says. What does it say? It says that all of this is part of God's sovereign plan. God says to Pharaoh, the reason you are Pharaoh is because of me. I raised you up. Pharaoh did not raise himself up, ultimately. Now, in a temporal, maybe human sense, but this is down at the, at the, at the deepest level. God says, if you want to strip it all away and know why you exist in this position of power, Pharaoh, it's why. It's because I raised you up. And I got reasons. See the reasons? First of all, I want you to know that I'm God and you're not. You're not God. Everyone believed that the Pharaoh was God. The Egyptians, superpower of the day, Pharaoh is God. God says, no, you're not. I'm God. The only reason you have your position of power is because I raised you up, and I raised you up for my purpose. Do you see the purpose? Two things. I want to show you my power. God wants to be known as powerful. But he also has a strong missional purpose here. See that? So that it's not just power. It's power for a purpose. So that my name can be known, proclaimed in all the earth. So this isn't just willy-nilly. God is not capricious. He's not arbitrary. He has purposes in mind here. God will be known in all the earth. That's why we're all about neighbors and nations at the Vine. That's why we just watched that, that video about why we sent people across the ocean to North Africa. We join God in his agenda to make himself known in the whole earth. Whole, whole earth. So God raised Pharaoh up to make this happen. And he's raised us up in this time and place to make it happen too. So God is sovereign and he will do whatever he wants to make his purposes flourish in the world today. The Bible says he can raise up. He says that he can tear down. He doesn't ask, have to ask for permission. He doesn't owe logical explanations. God is God and we are not. So back to our text, verse 3 of chapter 7. 
But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land, Pharaoh will not listen to you, God says to Moses. So God tells Moses, catch it again, that he will be the active agent in making sure that his plan goes through in the way that he wants it to go through. He will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he does not let them go. He sends Moses, like I said already, on this mission of failure. Until a certain point down the road, these people will be released by Pharaoh. So let's talk. Does this business of God hardening Pharaoh's heart, does that make you nervous? It used to make me nervous. It used to make me real nervous. See, when I was starting to read my Bible for the first time, seriously read my Bible for the first time in college, this text made me really nervous. And here's what I would say. I would say, how does this make sense? So let me get this straight. He he brought about God's, I'm sorry, God brought about Pharaoh's hardness of heart, and then he punishes him for it? That doesn't make logical sense. That doesn't make philosophical sense. That doesn't make ethical sense. But here's the problem. I was more committed to my logical, philosophical, and ethical categories and less committed to what God actually taught in his word. See, the question is, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where is the wisdom of the wise? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the wise? Romans eleven thirty four. who has known the mind of the Lord? Job demanded logical answers from God as to why God sovereignly brought suffering into his life. And God just simply says to Job, in essence, Job, your mind can't comprehend all that I'm up to in the world. There will be freedom for you in humility before me. And Job humbled himself finally, and he found great peace there. See, here's the deal. Your greatest need in life is to understand and know and trust God as he has revealed himself in the Bible. Your greatest need in life is not to have God conform to your fallen, man-made, philosophical, and logical categories. See, see, God cares very little about submitting to these things that we place on him. I mean, my word, think about the season that we're in. This is the Christmas season, right? Right? And if you're demanding logical answers and have it all figured out, all nice and neat, tied with a nice little bow that you open on Christmas morning, like you're in the wrong wrong seat this morning. I mean, we're talking about a virgin birth. Can you make sense of that? We're talking about God made flesh, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man. Can you make sense of that? Can you boil that down to its ultimate essence? See, the Bible doesn't explain that. It just asserts it, right? So God here shows us that he's free to bring about Pharaoh's hard heart. I mean, the Bible doesn't blush. And at the same time, hold him accountable for that sin. God clearly judges Pharaoh, and the Bible doesn't blush. Pharaoh is clearly judged by God, and and the Bible presents it that way. So how does that work? All the objections come to our minds. This doesn't seem to fit 
Well, interestingly, the New Testament anticipates my 20-year-old objection. When I was in college, reading this for the first time, going, come on, this doesn't make sense. Can, what? And it's like the, the Bible, like, climbed, or Paul, the author of Romans, climbed into my head and said, yeah, I know you're thinking that, and let me attempt to answer that. So flip over now. It's interesting this is the same exact numbers. Uh, to Romans 9.16. Not Exodus 9.16, but Romans 9.16. And it's the sixth book in the New Testament, if you're new to your Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. So Romans 9, starting in verse 16. See, Paul anticipates these questions like I had, reading the Bible seriously for the first time. Look at what verse 16 says. So then, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. So the context here in Romans 9 is that uh, Paul is talking about salvation. And how do people get saved? And he says, ultimately, again, just look at the words, if anyone becomes a Christian, it's not ultimately, all the way down at base level, It's not because of their free will or striving effort, but ultimately, what does it say? It depends not on human will or on your effort or exertion, but on what? On God and his mercy. People become, ultimately, all the way down, what the Bible teaches is that people become Christians because of God's mercy that he shows to them to change their heart and draw them to himself. And then he writes to his audience here in in, in chapter 9. And these guys would have been familiar with the Old Testament. And he basically says to them, you know what? We've got a perfect example of this point, Paul says, to this first audience in Rome 2,000 years ago. He says, we've got a perfect example of this. Guess what? You guys have heard about Pharaoh. Well, let's talk about Pharaoh. Because Pharaoh's a perfect example of what I'm teaching here in Romans 9. Look at verse 17. For the scripture says to Pharaoh... Just quoting what we just read in the Old Testament. Paul's quoting it here. For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then what's Paul's conclusion? Romans 9.18. So then he has mercy on whom he... So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. And then, he, and then he anticipates the objection, my objection. Verse 19. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? Meaning, why, why does he still find fault? Meaning, meaning, how can he punish someone for something he ultimately brings about? That doesn't make sense. And so you might Paul, expect Paul to write in verse 20, well, here's how it works. I know you're thinking that. Well, let me break it down for you nice and clear and logical. Let me give you a more satisfying philosophical answer. But he doesn't doesn't say that. Look at verse 20. Here's what Paul says. But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? See, Paul doesn't give a warm, fuzzy, philosophically satisfying answer here. He just simply says God is God and we are not. 
The, the answer we get from Paul is the same answer that Job got when he demanded answers from God to satisfy all his questions. Like, here, here's some great rhetorical questions for you. Can the finite question the infinite? Can the limited question the unlimited? Can the creation question the creator? Here's a key question for us all. Are we willing to humbly submit to this God even though we might not completely understand how it all works? Can you receive it? See, Paul is saying here in Romans 9, when it comes to, the, to, to, the, to, the, to our understanding and we are confronted with what the Bible does not explain but rather simply asserts, Things like the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. It's good for us to simply close our mouths. Close our mouths of resistance and submit to the God, creator, and savior of all the universe. But I know there's emotions that are, are, are tied to this. See, I know if you're wrestling through what the Bible teaches here for the first time, it can be, it can be really challenging. It was for me. Let, let me close by showing you that our hope in the gospel that we preach every single week is based on this exact same theme that we're talking about here. God's sovereign plan of bringing about his will through ordaining the actions of sinful people. It goes right, you can draw a straight line to the cross. It's not just Pharaoh and Exodus. It's, it's the heart of the gospel, which is the heart of the Bible. So flip one more time for me back a few pages to Acts chapter 4. Let me just show you this. So the context here is, is the first believers, filled with the Holy Spirit, have been witnessing like crazy in their spheres of influence, in their context, and people are getting saved. The religious leaders don't like it. They start persecuting them like crazy. And so what do they do? They don't, they don't go on strike. They don't go on social media. They pray. And here's what they pray. Check out how they pray. After being persecuted, here's how they pray. Verse 27. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, and both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So the Bible says here that Herod and Pontius Pilate, who did the most wicked thing ever, they killed the most innocent man who ever lived. They did it. And a bunch of other people too. And they were held accountable for this. God judged their sin. But, and here's the mystery, that the Bible simply asserts, God wasn't back there just wringing his hands like, well, what am I going to do now? i got to come up with some way to, to figure this out. Is that what it says? They did it because God predestined it. To do whatever your hand and their plan, no, it doesn't say their plan. It says your plan 
had predestined to take place. So these, these early believers held these two biblical truths in tension as they prayed here. That God is completely sovereign and ordains all that comes to pass, but at the same time, evil people will be held accountable and will be judged for their wickedness. You may say, I don't get it. And I, I agree, at some level, I don't get it either. But more than we get it, God wants us to accept what he says in his word and simply submit to it. See, the Bible is not written for our oppression. The Bible is written for our good. And that doesn't mean that we should check our brains at the door. We should think deeply and love God with all of our minds. Let's go for it and and hit the ceiling of our limitations. But I promise you're going to hit it. But let me say this. If we're going to ask and wrestle with these deep, theological, challenging questions... Do me a favor, at least commit to this, okay? Think hard about these things after reading lots and lots and lots of your Bible. Get to know God as well as you can before launching an objection that, God, that's not fair. Because that one might feel like if that's our knee-jerk response. See, let's come to these challenging concepts in what God has revealed with Bibles wide open with much knowledge of God's word, as much as we can. So we don't want to come first with philosophy. We don't want to come first with ethics. No, those things might be secondarily important. But first, we have to come with an attitude of willingness to submit to God's word and what we find here and let God, through prayer and his spirit, lead the way for us. And as you grow to know God more and more and more and more through soaking your mind in his word and seeing him for all that he has revealed himself to be in history and in Jesus, has he not proven that he's trustworthy? Even though we'll never understand every detail of his infinite mind, And how he works, has he not given us enough information that we can understand to trust him and joyfully submit to him in his word? I think that's what God wants for us. But let me let me just leave you with this. The absolute sovereignty of God over the heart of Pharaoh to bring about this gospel that we believe in that saves us. The absolute sovereignty of God is the basis for our hope in the gospel. See, if you're a Christian this morning, it's because you have believed the gospel. And and the gospel has come into human history, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus to save sinners because of, not just in reaction to, but because of the definite predestined plan of God. The Bible's clear. Just like he planned to save his people through the hardening of Pharaoh, like we're going to continue to see in the book of Exodus, he planned your salvation through the most wicked act ever in the history of the world, the murder of Jesus. He planned this. He planned your salvation if you're willing to come from way before you were ever on the scene. He made sure this news in space, time, and history would come to pass because he loves you. So this should bring and stir up a profound assurance. Not fear or worry. 
but, but profound assurance. See, if you're willing to come to Jesus and repent of your sins and trust him for all your life from today into eternity, nothing can take that away from you. Why? Because God planned it. If you will have him, he is yours forever. So you don't trust in a God who's powerless. You don't trust in a God who's at the mercy of wicked people. You don't trust in a God who's so weak he can't ordain your life such that it all eventually works together for your good. You trust a God who makes all things work for your good to those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. So you trust the God who is absolutely sovereign over all things. And if you come to him, you can know for sure today and every day that he is for you. And he loves you. And he'll never leave you or forsake you. And he has the power to do this. And he will make it so. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word even where it challenges us. Lord, I pray that you would give us the heart and the willingness to submit to it. And Lord, we thank you for the truths that we find there. Lord, we pray that our our greatest joy would be found in knowing you and trusting you. May it be so in Jesus' name. Amen.